The wind is a very important part of our weather system. It can be our friend on a hot summer's day, but it can also be a destructive foe in the form of hurricanes and tornadoes. What is the wind, and from where does it come? Stay tuned. A large hurricane has more power than the energy consumption of the entire U.S. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. From drying the flood waters from off the entire earth to parting the Red Sea, God has used the wind in some marvelous ways. Although we may not consider the ordinary workings of the wind to be something special, the wind is truly a fascinating creation of God. You won't want to blow your chance to hear this interesting discussion, so stay tuned for the next 15 minutes as we learn about the power of the wind. Dr. Ed Holroyd is a retired scientist from the United States Bureau of Reclamation. He describes wind and says it can be light and breezy or fierce and frightening. The air around us is invisible. It is necessary for our life. It is only when it moves that we can sense its presence. We call moving air the wind. It can be the common light wind of a gentle breeze, or it can be the rare destructive wind of a severe storm, such as a hurricane or tornado. Though the air is invisible, we can see movement in the clouds, dust, precipitation, and pollution it carries. We cannot see the wind. We can see its effects on the environment. Dr. Donald DeYoung is professor of physics at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. He says the wind is vital to our atmosphere. A breeze or wind occurs when large amounts of air move across the earth. The air is pushed from place to place as it evens out differences in pressure, much like water flowing downhill. When there's a constant pressure across the region, then the wind diminishes and the air becomes still for a time. The pressure differences themselves result from uneven heating of the earth by the sun, one might picture the wind as a giant spoon that stirs the atmosphere, and without it, dangerous hot and cold spots would develop. A good example of this stirring up of the Earth's atmosphere is the way the wind is circulated throughout the globe. Dr. Larry Vardaman, chairman of ICR's Department of Astrogeophysics, explains. It turns out that because of heating at different places on the Earth, there is greater warmth near the equator than there is in the poles. And this heat is trying to move from the, the equatorial regions to the polar regions, and it does it by the movement of air and the water in the ocean. But about half of the energy is moved from the equator to the poles by the gentle movement of air north, the warm air moving north and the cold air moving south, and this is a net result in the movement of energy. That's part of God's design for motion here on the earth. And the velocity of this circulated air will vary in different parts of the atmosphere. You may not know it, but in most places, at least at mid-latitudes, between 30 and 60 degrees latitude, you're within about five miles of winds that are blowing at 100 miles an hour as high as 200 miles an hour directly above you. It's called the jet stream, and it circulates around the Earth and has a very high speed. Down near the Earth, the surface of the Earth, it's not as great, except when you have a storm come in, and uh, you have a low-pressure center close to a high-pressure center. The wind will produce great speeds and cause great destruction on the surface of the Earth. So the wind is a very ma major force on the Earth as we know it today. 
It's interesting to note how much the wind really affects our life here on Earth. Not only does it keep the atmosphere and temperature well balanced, but without these moving winds, we'd all be getting very thirsty. Another major factor on the movement of winds is actually what's called the water cycle. In order to be able to have rain on the continents, you evaporate the moisture from the oceans and the winds move that moist air over to the continents and it condenses and falls out as rain over the continents. Otherwise, the continents are not a major source of moisture and they would just dry out and become all deserts. So you're basically moving this moisture by the winds over the continents where you can produce this rain that's needed to grow plants and for our drinking water. We understand just how beneficial and necessary the wind is to us. But on the other hand, we also know how detrimental it can be in the form of hurricanes and tornadoes. Dr. DeYoung says the wind reveals its strength in these violent storms. The power of wind is seen and heard dramatically in a hurricane. These storms produce millions of tons of air moving at hundreds of miles per hour. A large hurricane has more power than the energy consumption of the entire U.S. This is why we can't prevent or control hurricanes. Instead, we watch for them and then get out of the way. This is also true for tornadoes. Dr. Vardaman tells us that winds at destructive high speeds become even more devastating as momentum increases. In hurricanes, you can have winds as high as 150, maybe approaching 200 miles an hour. Around thunderstorms also, you can get extremely high winds. You can have tornadoes that are brought down out of a thunderstorm. These winds can reach two to 300 miles an hour in a very small vortex, and it can do incredible destruction when it picks up objects and throws them around. It turns out that the effect of the wind is greatly multiplied when you increase it, and it's not a linear function. In other words, you don't have just the same amount of destruction linearly when you increase the wind, say, by a factor of two. The destruction doesn't go up by a factor of two. It goes up by a factor of four. So that if you double the wind speed, you have four times the destruction. So the wind, although it's just a simple movement of air molecules, when it gets to high speed, it can produce tremendous destruction and can be very fearful to us. In our program today, we've heard about high and low air pressure. Just what does this mean? Dr. Holroyd explains how wind reacts to these pressures. Wind is the response of air to pressure gradients. Air flows from high pressure to low pressure, but is usually deflected by the turning of the earth through the Coriolis effect. The pressure gradients may in turn be caused by the wind. Here in the mountains of Colorado, air may be piled up uh, by the friction of the mountains causing high pressure but low pressure is in the flat plains to the east where there is minimal friction. When that happens, strong winds descend out of the foothills, sometimes reaching hurricane speeds and causing damage to trees and buildings. What other factors influence the wind? Winds are also caused by temperature gradients, especially in the upper air. For the same amount of air, a column of warm air is tall, while cold air is short and dense. Air at the same upper pressure level tries to flow from the high altitude above the warm air to the lower altitude above the cold air. Winds can also be caused by the evaporative cooling of precipitation below a cloud. Such cooling can also be experienced in the output of a swamp cooler used for air conditioning in dry climates. 
The chilled air is denser than the dry air and starts to fall rapidly as a downdraft. It changes to horizontal winds when the ground is reached and is called a downburst. A downburst can cause a sudden change in the relative airspeed of aircraft uh, near airport runways. Numerous airplane crashes have been caused by downburst winds. When winds are forced to rise up a higher terrain, orographic clouds may release extra precipitation relative to flatland. The intense precipitation in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California is a result of strong moisture-laden winds rising over those mountains. On the other side, leeward descending winds evaporate precipitation, causing a rain shadow. So Nevada is dry. It therefore matters whether the wind is going uphill or downhill. Now, what about the origin of the wind? Does it make any sense to say that this force, both powerful and peaceful, came about through evolutionary means of chance? Dr. Vardaman says the only possible way that wind came into existence was by the mighty hand of God. In terms of God's creating the earth, the systems that he has, I think he very specifically designed the world in which we live so that the wind functions in a way that's very productive. It's also very uh, interesting to try to understand how the wind works in our atmosphere. We only in the last 200 years or so have really understood exactly the global movement of wind and how the air moves around on the surface of the earth. But this really speaks back to God and his power and his and his uh, foreknowledge and uh, his omnipotence and being able to design and construct such a system that it works so efficiently. Uh, I can't even imagine how you could get such a system if you're relying on an arbitrary system that was just chaos and didn't have any order behind it. So the way in which the, the wind occurs, it, it follows very specific equations that we can apply to it. And uh, this implies that there had to have been a designer or a creator who did this. We know that the equations for wind, we've actually developed these now, and these are the basis of equations that are put into numerical models for predicting the weather and climate. There are six basic equations that are used in numerical models for predicting weather and climate. And these are based upon the way in which wind operates in our atmosphere. And it's a really testimony to what God has done. God created the wind for specific functions on earth. But he also used the wind at certain times in extraordinary ways. Dr. DeYoung talks about some of the miraculous ways that wind was used in the Bible. One of those miracles when the sea is parted, we don't have any wind like that today that can back up the water and make it like on walls where you can walk through. So there's certainly divine intervention there. There's another time where God speaks and the wind stops and the storm stops instantly. So wind is used by the Lord at his will. He controls weather. And, of course, wind is also used as an image of the Holy Spirit, that we can't see it, and it goes by its own direction and does good. That's an interesting comparison. Dr. Vardaman would agree, and says the Holy Spirit will move in a person's heart to bring that one to salvation through Jesus Christ. For example, he speaks in John chapter 3, verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. The connection there is that the Holy Spirit, you can't not see him, 
just like the wind. You can't see the wind. You can only see the effects of the wind, blowing leaves around and so on, but the wind itself, which is the movement of air, and you can't see the air. So he, he draws a connection between the wind and the movement of the Spirit and the effect that it has upon people. And that's the message of John 3.16, which is a heavenly message that God gave, and he based it upon this comparison of the movement of the wind and the motion of the Holy Spirit when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a work of the Holy Spirit for us to come to understand and to know that and to accept that for our salvation. And it's all based on this idea that God is providing the Holy Spirit like he does the wind. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.